So I'd love to speak to you today about the test of influence, the test of influence. And we're going to look at a passage in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 4, starting at verse 1. And that's on page 967 in the Blue Bibles, which are in the seats around you. And it'll also be on the screens behind me. So Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So I want to speak today about the test of influence. You have significant influence right now. And it might not feel like it. You might not feel that way. Some of you might wish you had much more influence. Some of you might wish you had a little bit less influence. But there are people right now in your life who look to you for wisdom, insight, guidance, who watch how you live, who listen to how you speak, see how you react to challenges and opportunities. Some of it's indirect and some of it's really direct over colleagues, maybe over direct reports at work, over friends, over family, maybe over your partner. Maybe over the children you are raising right now. And as your influence increases, you will face tests. Influence involves both opportunity and opposition. Influence is as much a test to be faced as a privilege to be enjoyed. And part of the reason it's so significant is that people are watching you all the time, not just to see if you exercise your influence, but to see where you exercise it, what are the things that you're passionate about, what will you use it for, and how you use it. The way you use your influence is hugely powerful in and of itself. And we see in this passage three different tests that come with the influence and how we might rise to meet those tests. So the first test is what you pursue with the influence you have. Now Jesus has just been baptised and he's heard the voice of his father declare over him, this is my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. And in a moment, you know, Jesus, Jesus has extraordinary, unique influence. He's the son of God. He's God made flesh, sent to save us. And he's about to start his ministry. Just after his period in the wilderness, he goes on, says to people, repent, turn to God and believe. And starts to call his disciples saying, come follow me. But first, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested by the devil. It's the spirit who leads him into the wilderness. And if that doesn't blow your mind today, I don't know what will. The idea that the spirit of God can take him into a time of testing. And if the spirit led Jesus to be tested, don't be surprised if God 
allows you to face challenges, testing and opposition. God is well pleased with Jesus, so he allows him to be tested. You know, the trial you're facing right now is much more likely to be a sign of God's pleasure in you than God's punishment of you. God uses even opposition and testing as a way of refining you to make you even more effective in his purposes for you. And some of you need to hear this today. The battles you face are a sign of the influence you carry. If you're facing testing, it's probably because of your anointing. And the first test is what are you going to pursue? Now, Blaise Pascal said, the serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the power of God. If you want influence, pursue holiness. People are captivated by it. And Jesus, though he was with the Father before all time, decides to pursue his Father in the wilderness. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of his relationship with his Father. He wants to establish something, it seems, at the start of his ministry. So he goes and he fasts. He's already fasted at this point for 40 days and 40 nights. And at that point, the devil comes to him and says, if you're the Son of God, if you carry this influence, make these stones become bread. Now the devil isn't questioning Jesus' identity He's trying to get him to presume on it. He's almost saying, you know, if if you're the son of God, if you're so special, you don't need to seek the Father. You don't need to be obedient. You're the son of God. Do what you like. Satisfy your own desires. And it's interesting. The devil's quite cunning. But he doesn't sidle up to Jesus in a bar with a row of tequila shots. He comes up to him and says, oh, you know, you've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Make these stones become bread. It's just bread. And bread's good. I know in 2018 in London it's hard to believe that, but bread is good. You know, back then, lots of people ate bread. It was an amazing kind of sustaining thing. Now I know lots of you survive on like a kale smoothie and a couple of cashew nuts. But but back then, bread was a good thing. And it kind of signified, it kind of signified your resources. Signified what you'd earned. It signified your relational connection in the community. You broke bread with those you communicated with, with those you connected with. So it's a good thing. But it's really interesting. Sometimes uh, the devil will try and get you to put good things before the best things. It tries to get you to put the things in your life which are good. You know, my great career, my great income, my great social network. My desire for the perfect relationship tries to get you to put those things before the best thing. And it's really interesting because sometimes when you've got influence, it gives you the power, the opportunity to get as much of those things as you like. And you can start to think, oh, you know, well, I did this myself. I have the influence. I can decide when and how and what those things are and how much of them I have. And you almost feel like, you know, it's, 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 it's on me. So I make the call. I've got complete independence to do this. And the second thing, which is even more subtle, is you start to think that those things, enough, those things on their own will be enough to satisfy you. And Jesus says, no, 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 you can't live on bread alone. If you think you can be sustained by those things, then you're kidding yourself. This this week, uh, I spent some time with a guy, really successful guy, very, very successful in his career, and um, still quite young, very wealthy, very influential, and we're just kind of chatting at an event, and... 
he, he got more and more interested and he, he started to ask me lots of questions. And after a while, he said, I feel like there's something different about you. I took that as a compliment. It's not always. But, um, and I, I said... I said, all oh, right. And he said, what do you do for a living? And I, kinda, I don't mind that question, but it's every now and again, it's nice to pretend you're not a pastor. You know, it's like, so I was like, oh, you know, I actually work at this church. He said, oh, that's really interesting. He's, and it was almost like there was something deep within him, which I don't even feel he had the language for, which was reaching out to something deep within me, the Holy Spirit. It's almost like he sensed the Holy Spirit in me. He started asking more and more questions about faith, about all sorts of other things. And then he said, you know, is there any way of kind of exploring these questions? I said, oh, we have this thing called Alpha. He said, what's Alpha? And I said, oh, well, you know, we have some food, we have a meal, we have a talk about an interesting subject, and then we have an opportunity to discuss it. And he said, what kind of interesting subject? And I said, well, like, forgiveness. And his eyes just kind of went wide. And he started talking about an era of his life where he just needed forgiveness. And he's just absolutely fascinated. It wasn't anything about me, something deep in him, a desire that he needed to be satisfied, which he wasn't even fully aware of, didn't have the language for, was reaching out, and he could catch a glimpse of how it might be satisfied. He didn't want the conversation to end. He was like following me around the room. And I, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't live in this country, but I'm going to suggest some courses to him so he can explore it, so he can go on. You have the Spirit in you, and people will see the Spirit in you, even though they don't know what the Spirit is, who the Spirit is, and they will want to know more. It's, I found it fascinating. I came away from this conversation. He has so much money, so much influence, such an amazing career, great relationships in his life. But there was this deep hunger in him. And I was thinking, it's true, isn't it? You, know, you can have everything in the world apart from Jesus and feel like you have nothing. You can have nothing in the world apart from Jesus and feel like you have everything. All he had was a sniff of the presence of God and he was fascinated. Do you know that? It might be you're here today and you've slightly forgotten that yourself. You've been around a while and you're thinking, actually... Am I starting to lean on these things? Am I trying to live on bread alone? And it might be you need to be reminded today that there are people in your workplaces, people in your families, friends of yours, who are in this place right now. They are trying to live on bread alone. And that's no fun. We're not designed to live that way. Take a risk. And remember, the more you pursue God, the more influence you will carry. They say, so firstly, what are you going to pursue? But secondly, how are you going to deal with people's perception of you given your influence? Because the devil doesn't stop there. He says, if you're the son of God, if you have this influence, in effect, he says, you must know because God promises to protect you. You can do whatever you like. You're such a special person. You're God's uh, son. You know, so why don't you do something extraordinary which will enable everyone to see that you're God's son? You know, jump off this really high building. He'll command his angels concerning you. So interesting. The devil almost comes with a completely different perspective. But that's not what it means to be the son of God. You just jump off buildings. But it's really interesting. That's how it's seen. There will always be people in your life who want you to act according to how they see you. How they perceive you. And one of the key tests of influence is, is your identity orientated around what others perceive about you 
or what you hear your heavenly father declare over you. And Jesus has heard it. This is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. When people see your influence, when they see the influence you carry, they'll want to know in your workplace, in your social networks, they'll want to know, is this person with us or not? Are they part of the crew or not? Are they part of the group or not? They'll want to know that and they'll try to get you to prove it. And there'll be a time which will come. And it might be in a bar at 2am, but it might be by a water cooler or in a meeting room at 8 o'clock in the morning. And it might be quite subtle. Would you just turn a blind eye to this? Don't make a fuss about this, would you? Are you really in? Are you real loyal to this company? Would you just do this? Is it okay? Are you in the in crowd? And the test can be, am I going to enhance my reputation with others or take care of my character before God? They're not always the same thing. When I started uh, working as a barrister, I was just 22 and I, I loved it. I was really excited about it and the first year was kind of like a year-long job interview. And there were 10 candidates for one place. It was kind of like The Apprentice meets The Hunger Games. And um, only the odds weren't in my favor. Because I, I, um, I, I kind of come from a slightly different background to most of the other 10. I'd, I'd grown up in a wonderful town just north of London called Luton. Um, uh, which gets a bad press. But it's my hometown and I really love it. And the area we grew up in was a little bit rough. So I always felt like oh, I'm a bit of an outsider. I'm not sure I'm going to fit in. And there particularly I felt like a bit of an outsider. They're all quite smart. But I thought if I work really hard, if things go really well, hopefully over time I'll be able to persuade them that I make, I make the grade and they might even offer me a job at the end of this year. End of the first week, we're all in the pub. Lots of the senior guys have taken us out to the pub. We're all there and I think at least I've got through the first five days. And in the conversation, one of the other ten starts talking about Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. And I remember thinking, that's a random topic to introduce on a Friday night, but I didn't think anything of it. And then after a while, he turned to me and he said, Steve, what do you think about that film? Because you're a Christian, aren't you? <laughs> He's trying to torpedo me five days in. And he said the Christian word, so it was like all the other conversations stopped, all the senior people leaned in. And I was thinking, I don't believe this, God. I had a plan. The plan involved me working really hard for the first couple of years, convincing them I was really good at being a barrister. Then working really hard for another two years, convincing them that I added value to their company. And then about year five, I might say, over coffee on a Monday morning, I went to church. (laughs) Year six, year seven, I might say, you know, you want to go alpha? (laughs) That was my plan. This is five days in, in a pub with all the senior people, and they're all leaning in. I think I'm completely stuck. Two roads opened up before me. What am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm completely stuck. There's only one way I can answer this question. So I said, "Um, yeah, yeah, I I am a Christian, actually. And, uh, you know, Mel Gibson's film, um, you know, they, they went back to the original text and they actually spoke in the original language, the Aramaic language, and, yeah, they showed Jesus rising from the dead, which I believe. And um, so I think it is quite authentic. And instantly the, the mood changed a little bit and the senior guy, most senior guy kind of leaned in. He said, oh, he's so polite. He said, oh, Stephen, that's, that's wonderful. Um, we're delighted to hear that. Um, of course, there's nothing wrong at all with you having a private 
personal faith. Um, you know, the only thing that whatever causes any anxiety at all is, is if you were one of those Christians, you've probably never met one. But there are these Christians who feel the need to share their faith with others and, and, and talk about Jesus and do things like evangelism. I mean, of course, you're not one of those kind of Christians, are you? Two roads opened up in front of me. And I thought, what do I do? How is this happening? I'm five days in with everyone. This is not the way. So I thought, well, what do I do? I said, well, I, if I believe it, and it's important, as important as I feel it must be, it would be strange if I never spoke about it to anyone. And he kind of said, of course, of course. Um, that, yes, if, if someone asked you and, and there was a kind of appropriate, uh, quiet way you wanted to share your faith, that would be, we wouldn't have any issue. That. I guess what I'm driving at is that we, 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 the only thing we would ever be nervous about um, is, is, I mean, there are some Christians, not many in the UK, of course, but some Christians in parts of the world who believe in things like you know, spiritual gifts and, um, and speaking in tongues. I mean, of course, you're not one of those kind of Christians, are you? Two roads opened up in front of me and I thought, I cannot, how do we get here from the passion of the Christ on a Friday night? And I thought, well, I'm in now. So I said, I said, well, you know, when I look at the accounts of the early church, it seemed like the spiritual gifts were available for the church and people spoke in tongues. And actually, it seems to me that those gifts are available to the church today. And actually, I've got some experience of them silence in the room and as I walked away from the pub that night I was like God this is over to you this might be the shortest career that any barrister has ever had and I thought God you've got to do something but you know it's interesting now looking back I I actually feel that was a test and some tests are indirect and some tests are direct and I tell you, I've failed a lot of tests in my life. And I often haven't done the right thing or got it right. But that night, by the grace of God, I did. And you know, it's interesting. God honors those who honor him. The senior guys, I had no idea about this, but they were watching this unfold thinking, this is interesting. We've got a 22-year-old from Luton who's prepared to stand in the pub and say he's a Christian on a Friday night. That takes some courage. And do you know what? At the end of that year, they gave me a job. (laughs) You know, I had a real test that night. Do I want to impress these people or do I want to please my father? You know, and Jesus had heard his father's voice. So clearly. And when you know how God sees you, you're less concerned about how others perceive you. You know, when you hear his voice, you know, you're less concerned about anyone else's opinions. Why? Not because you're rude or because you ignore people, but because of the voice of your father resonates so deeply in your soul that all the other voices become very quiet. That's the difference it makes. And you're actually free to serve people, to help people, to use your influence to help the people God has placed around you because you're not so worried about how it looks to them. So there's a test of what you pursue. There's a test of what people perceive. And there's also the test of position. 
You know, when you achieve a measure of success, whether it's kind of social success, you've got a great group of friends, or kind of career success, you've had a few promotions, or financial success, or, or in a business, people start to look up to you. Whether that's formal or informal, you have a position of influence, whether you like it or not. And actually, that might be something you have right now, or that might be something you long for. You might desire greater influence. You might say, God, if I could just have this influence, I could do all these things in different areas of your life. You might think it's something you deserve. You might think it's something you're entitled to. But it's interesting, in this passage, the devil is very cunning because he offers to Jesus something that looks so like what Jesus has been promised. You're the king of kings, Jesus. If you worship me, you can have all the kingdoms on the face of the world. It's interesting, your shadow mission is not the complete opposite of your true mission. Often it's just 30 degrees off. The devil often tempts people with something that looks like the right thing. It looks like that thing you've been longing for. But it's the wrong thing in the wrong time and the wrong way. And sometimes because we're so desperate for it, we miss that. We don't look closely. Maybe you've got your heart set on something good. You want to make a difference. You want to use your influence to serve people. devil says to Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world. It looks a bit like what Jesus has been promised. It looks a bit like his inheritance. But the devil is actually offering kingship without the cross. The way Jesus took the throne mattered. Influence should come with a cost. Beware of influence offered to you which doesn't cost you anything. It's hard to steward well what you haven't suffered for. What's your passion? What are you prepared to suffer for? Your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. How you obtain influence shapes how you use influence. And Jesus didn't use others to serve his position. He used his position to serve others. Jesus didn't seize influence. He surrendered influence. Jesus didn't seek to amass influence for himself. He poured out his influence for others. So God gave him an influence which is greater than any person who has ever walked on the face of the earth. Some people spend their whole lives searching for influence. But God can raise you up in a moment. Trust him. The tests you face today are a sign of the influence you carry. Are you willing to pursue him first? Are you willing to hear his voice first? Are you willing to put others first, to pour out your influence to others, to use your influence to help others find him? Just think of the difference we could make if we make that our rallying cry. We haven't earned our influence. It's a gift. And gifts you pass on. Let's use our influence to pour out for others. Let's take a risk today, this week, this month. Invite someone. Invite them again. Start a conversation. Share something of your story. Stories have real power. You cannot do it in your own strength. But by the Spirit of God. We together can see the name of Jesus lifted high in this church, in this city, and right across this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.